All right, well, my name is Matt, if you haven't met me. I'm on the leadership team here at Mercy Fellowship, and Pastor Chris is in the town of Bend, Oregon, and uh, preaching to a church there. And so I'm here to you to share um, from the scriptures this morning, and and I'm really excited to do so. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about how we are transformed, how we are changed uh, by who God is. And I was just reflecting on that and realizing that oftentimes in our lives there's like things that are right in front of us, truths maybe in scriptures that are right in front of us and we just don't see. Like they're there and it's just we're blinded to it or whatever, we just don't see it. And and I think it makes sense if we think about sometimes in our lives we're looking for stuff and we can't find them. Like when you are like looking for your cell phone, you're like looking and looking, looking for your cell phone, you realize it was in your hand the whole time. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, or it's right there in front of you, but you just, for whatever reason, you you cannot see it. And uh, my dad used to say as a kid, if it was a snake, it would have bit you, right? It was right there in front of you. But as a kid for me, that was actually a literal truth. Uh, Growing up in South America and uh, in 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 the edge of the Amazon jungle, there were snakes. I, last time I came out and preached, I preached about this giant snake that, uh, that some of the missionaries there had, had seen and had um, experienced. And we had all sorts of creatures. We had snakes. We had, you know, scorpions. We had these ants uh, we called cow killers. I don't really know what they, like their actual name is, but they were black with bright yellow spots on them. And the story, see, I was a kid, right? So some of the stories you're like, you believe them as a kid, and then as an adult, you're like, is that true, right? But um, apparently, if a cow got enough of these uh, ant stings, it would kill it, right? So we call the cow killers. Um, so there's all these creatures everywhere you would go that could hurt you, kill you. We had piranhas in the lake, and when I first got to Columbia, my parents were like, they, they brought a little kiddie pool. Like, I'm like third and fourth grade, they brought a little kiddie pool, because, you know, in it with this much water, and they're like... There's no way you guys are going in that lake, right? And all my friends are, you know, in the lake, swimming. We had a raft. I mean, it was just, it was like an amazing time. And there am I in the little kiddie pool, you know. Like, my mom was like afraid of us to interact with any of these animals. So we were taught to be super vigilant. Like, when you're in the jungle, when you're like walking through, like, you have to be careful. We like to climb a lot of trees. And so, you know, you, before you put your hand on a, a branch, you kind of look and make sure there's not a snake or some kind of creature there. Uh, but as a good kid, I never did anything that my parents, like, reminded us to do, right? Like, we just would run through the jungle barefoot, like, whatever, we'll be fine. And I remember this one specific time where my sister and I, we would like to climb trees, and there's a lot of fruit trees there. We like to pick the fruits, and our neighbor was out of town, and he had this tree that had uh, maracuya, which is uh, passion fruit. Which we really enjoyed. We loved to, to get. So, um, but we, you know, we would never pick somebody else's fruit, but they were out of town and the fruit was just going to go bad. So my sister and I had this idea. I was probably third grade at this time. We'd go over and, and pick, the, pick the fruit. So we go over there and like I climb up in the tree and I'm like picking the fruit and throwing them down to my sister. She's got a little bucket and what we're doing there and like completely oblivious to the creatures that were in that tree. And so I remember, like clear as it is, 
uh, today as I went to reach for this fruit. And I mean, I've been in this spot for a while, and there was a branch that was like right here in front of me. And as I'm reaching, I, am, I realize that I am nose to nose with a giant iguana. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a giant iguana before. Um, that is the creature that was in front of me. I mean, big. And as a kid, there's all these really scary, poisonous animals. This one struck the most fear in us for some reason, right? Not poisonous, you know, doesn't really bite. I mean, if you stuck your finger in its mouth, it probably would bite you. Uh, the only dangerous part is they have a tail that will whip you. Like, that's how they, like, defend themselves. So, but here I am, and I, I mean, I believe this is, like, the last leftovers of the dinosaurs, right? This, like, creature right here in my face. And I did, never saw it. I'd been, like, happily picking, and the iguana was probably happy just to sit there unnoticed. But now that I noticed it, everything had to change. So, like, I, I got to get out here, got to get here. And I just started backing up on a branch. Like, that, that's not a good idea. And I fall. And I come fall, and I wasn't like terribly high up, probably 10, 15 feet up in the tree. So I go falling down, and luckily it was like lots of vines in it, and so I got caught in the vines. I got caught, and I was like, I didn't die, right? Like that feeling when you're falling, you're like, this is it, I'm dead. Uh, but the problem was that there was also in that tree a giant hornet's nest, and now the hornets were mad, and I'm in this cloud of hornets, but I'm tangled in a tree you know, six or eight feet in the air, and I'm just, you know, trying my hardest to get out of there, and I, eventually I got free, and as soon as my feet hit the ground, I just booked it home. I was running and crying, and um, my parents were, you know, not very happy with me, but this was the experience I had as a kid, and I remember it, and my parents were like, why would you, you know, and I was like, if I would have seen the dangers that were in front of me, I would have made better decisions, hopefully, right? As a kid, I don't, I don't know if you do, right? Like, you, you, you hope that you make better decisions. And I, I can equate that story to how sometimes there's stuff in Scripture, there's, there's a lot in the Bible that God has given us to show us how to live our lives, how to make good choices, how to um, navigate this broken world that we live in, and we just don't see it. And um, so today, I want to unpack something that, that to me is really clear in scriptures, but like it took me a while in my life to like see it and to experience it. And so I'm hoping that this morning it would encourage you and help you to see God in, in a new way. And really, that's what Sunday mornings are for, right? Is like to, to reframe, try to figure out, try to understand God in a deeper way. So uh, I'm going to start with uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, and this, this series of scripture is kind of disjointed, so I'm going to hop around a little bit, but we're just going to read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, and he says this, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And I just want to stop right there. I want to unpack this verse, because this verse is kind of the key to the, the rest of the verses around it. Um, so, I want to start with that concept of we do not lose heart. And I uh, think about this last year. I mean, it's been about, what, 12 months, right, since coronavirus hit and our world got thrown upside down. I don't have to tell you guys about all the things we've gone through this year. It's, it's, it's been heartbreaking. It's been earth-shattering in some ways. Our, our, you know, our political environment has been a mess. 
You know, the financial markets are, are a mess. You know, people have lost jobs, and, and it's just been a really unsettling year. And uh, it would be easy for us to lose heart, to be discouraged. And as I was like, I did some word study on these words, the word for lose heart literally is translated, we don't faint, right? So I don't know, I was thinking about like, maybe like Chris running a marathon and being so tired that he just like passed out, right? Like you don't faint. But what really came to my mind is when you're laying in bed in the morning and you're just like, yeah, getting up this morning's just not worth it. Like, getting up and facing the day, like, this is the best as it's going to get today, is right here in the morning, and uh, I'm just going to, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm staying here. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm losing heart on the day. I've given up on the day, and, and this is easy for us to do when the world around us is broken, and everywhere we turn, there's another thing wrong that we see. And sometimes it's even deeper than that. Sometimes it's not just like we're unsettled by the world around us or like our, our, our jobs aren't going well, or our bank accounts are low. But sometimes it's deeper where we're like, I mean, does God really care? Right? Is God really good? Is he even out there? We, we don't like to be real sometimes, but, but that kind of sinks in sometimes. We, we begin to lose heart. At one point in time, we, we feel like we met Jesus, and we, we, our lives were changed by him, and then our lives have gone on, and now we're discouraged sometimes, right? We're losing heart, and um, I think oftentimes in church, we're like, hey, don't lose heart, and we equate that to don't be sad. Don't have emotion, right? At church, we pretend everything is okay, right? And I've been learning in my own personal life that if you don't deal with, like, emotions and the traumas in your life, they don't go away. They, like, sit inside you and, and affect you and kind of rot, rot you from the inside, and um, I have had, um, I had an experience, when I was, when I was younger, when I was in, in college, my little sister died. And for most of my life, I have refused to enter that pain, right? I just, it's okay, everything's okay, it's going to be okay. And, and I, I, it, it, it's a deep sadness that I am just now starting to explore, and so I don't believe that losing heart means pretending everything's okay. Losing heart is not ignoring the hard things in our lives or the things that are really a real problem in our lives. It is allowing ourselves in those pain to experience God and to not lose heart while dealing with, with, with the hard things of life. And so... As we're looking at this, we, I, I hope that this morning, as, as we get into this, that we would not lose heart. We wouldn't ignore, we wouldn't pretend that these things aren't there, but we would not lose heart in the pain of our lives. And so I hopped into this, Paul's saying we don't lose heart, and I don't know if you're like me, you're like, it's like when I join my wife on a Netflix series, she's already like started, I'm like, okay, what was going on again? 
um, who are they and why are they mad at this person? You know, like, I, I, I want to be there, I want to participate in this, but I have no idea. I've, I've, I don't remember. I don't remember where we're at here, right? So um, why is Paul saying I, we don't lose heart? Like he's a pastor. He's like, I, I, we're not going to lose heart here. And the situation that they're dealing with is pretty bad. See, they're going through um, what we call church drama, or maybe better called church trauma, right? So Paul, his church has had leadership come in there and be like, oh yeah, Paul, yeah, he's not to be trusted. He, he's kind of lied to you about what the Bible actually says. In fact, he's kind of con- confused the truth. He's added some things in that aren't actually there. Um, there were uh, leaders that came in and said, oh yeah, he told you this truth, but there's a secret truth, right? There's a truth that he's not telling you that we have that you need to know about, right? So, um, you know, kind of reminds me of this, like, whole QAnon thing, right? There's this, like, this secret thing that not everybody knows about, but only certain people know about. And there's this drama, and they're accusing Paul of, like, hey, he's just in it for the money. He's just in it for the fame. And Paul, his ministry is, like, totally wrecked. He's happened to be out of town, and he's coming back. He's like, okay, we don't lose heart when, like, there's issues in the church. And if you're like me, most of us have been in church experiences where there has been trauma. There's been drama. We've had it in our church. It's, it's gone on for decades in other churches. It just happens. It shouldn't happen in the church, but when it does, people lose heart. People go, okay, I'm out. This God thing, this guy, he preached, I got saved, and now I can't trust him so what does that mean about my faith? Is it gone? Do I just walk away from the faith? This is what's going on. They have people leaving the church. They've got, you know, divisions, this whole thing. And Paul comes in and says, okay, we don't lose heart. He wants to encourage them. He wants to show them why they don't lose heart. And he says, by the mercy of God. So the verse is, we don't, uh, the verse goes, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So I want to unpack this kind of having, uh, the, um, yeah, the having this ministry by, but he says by the mercy of God. Now, I'm going to go to by the mercy of God. So by the mercy of God, you know, we might think, okay, mercy. So God's mercy causes us not to lose heart. Okay. And, and maybe think of it in a legal, legal way, like in, Christian, in the Christian way. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that our sins... His mercy, we don't get what we deserve for our sins. We've done things wrong. God said, I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to pay for those sins, and, and those are going to be removed. That's, you know, that's good news. But even broader than that, when he talks about the mercy of God, when you look at this word in Scripture, he's talking often about the relational mercy of God. So the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness he talks about the compassion and empathy of God. The fact that God would be compassionate and empathetic towards us. That is the mercy of God. He, he, he loves us. And he says, by the mercy of God, um, God, because God has this mercy in our lives, and, and honestly, we don't see it. We, we live our lives. We see all this stuff going on. Our, our church is a mess. Our world is a mess. And we're like, all right, I don't know if I'm in or out anymore at church anymore. I don't know where my faith is at. And 
there's, but there's this mercy of God, this God who loves us, who cares for us, and we're kind of blind to see it. We don't see the things that God is doing, the compassion that God has for us uh, often. And um, recognizing God's mercy in our life, to me, is a very important part to growing and changing in our lives. And so this is the concept that I want to unpack this morning for you guys, is, is recognizing the mercy of God, or as Paul says in the verse before it, he says we are transformed when we behold the glory of God, when we see who God is, when we like come face to face with this merciful God, this God who has compassion for us, this God who doesn't hold our sins against us, who pursues us, that is what changes, uh, what changes us. Um, anytime I hear the word mercy, I think of our church name, right? Like we have this name, Mercy Fellowship, and, and I believe that as you're reading through the scriptures, anytime you see the word mercy, like stop and think like how how does this work in our church? How do we be this mercy to the community around us? Um, because if that is who God is, and that's what God wants us to be. All right. Then he says, by, by, uh, by the mercy of having this ministry by the mercy of God. And, and literally, he's like, okay, by. I, Paul's reminding them here that he didn't choose to be a Christian. In fact, he didn't want to be a Christian. Paul, he was very happy. He was wealthy. He was well, um, you know, he had a lot of fame, and he really enjoyed his job of hunting down and killing Christians. Like, Paul was this guy. He didn't have any interest in being a Christian. He's like, listen, I don't even want to be, I don't even want to be a Christian. I don't even want to be a pastor. I, I had this other job. Everybody was like, I got a lot of money for it. I was like, well, I don't want to say well-liked, but, you know, well-feared in the community. Um, but it was by God's mercy. God came and reminding you of, of this, um, this experience Paul had. He's, he's on the road, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, and he, bl- he literally blinds him with his glory and says, okay, you, you work for me now. It's by God's mercy that we are changed. And literally, even though none of us, I mean, we don't usually have quite a dramatic story where we're, we're, you know, walking down the road and and God shows up and we're like, you know, have a great blinding story. But literally, that's how it works in all of our lives. There's a point in our lives where we're walking along, happy to just go through life the way, and then God shows up and we, we are changed. That's the only thing I can explain, that God shows up and we're changed. And he says, okay, this is by God's mercy that I even have this ministry. This was God's idea in the, in the beginning. And I think oftentimes, like that whole experience, you know, we're, we're familiar with, we're happy with, and we kind of end our faith there. We're like, okay, good. I met God. You know, he, he paid the price for my sin, which is amazing. Now what? You know, now we wait for Jesus to come back, right? Like, like, now what? And I think often we stop there, and we don't pull this experience into the everyday parts of our lives. And so I, I want to unpack that for you. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we're going to go to the verse before it and say, we are changed when we, by beholding the glory of God. And he says this, and we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we read this, and we're like, oh, interesting, and we just move right on. But what he's saying here is we are being transformed. So we meet God, boom, the lights go on. We're like, God exists, right? And, and things are different in us. But he says, by beholding the glory of God is what we do to changes us. It makes us more like God, okay? Um, and, and Paul's explaining this. It's like he's, in, in this verse, he's talking about Moses, right? I guess I heard the sermon last week. Chris talked about this, but he's talking about Moses and the unveiling, the veiling of the face. When Moses in, in Exodus, he goes and meets with God, and he gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and he says that Moses didn't notice, but his face was glowing, and everybody saw it, and we're like, okay, you got to cover that thing up. Like, it is, it is blind. So he veiled his face because his, his face was physically glowing, okay? Then it, was, then it said that as Moses would go on, he, the, the, the glowing would fade, and then he'd meet with God again, and when he'd come out of the tent, his face would be glowing again, and he'd have to cover his face up. I think that this is an illustration from God of how our faith works, okay? So when we spend time with the Lord, when we spend the time, I'm going to use this word beholding, we'll unpack that, beholding the glory of God, we change. Something changes inside of us, and we begin to, to glow. I think of uh, glow-in-the-dark stars, right? Uh, this Christmas, I got my daughter glow-in-the-dark stars, for Christmas, and, you know, we had a really good time, like, putting them up on the ceiling, and, you know, putting it all up, and then my daughter all was like, okay, so, like, where's the batteries, right? Like, how does this work? And if you guys don't know about glow-in-the-dark stars, there's a secret to the glow-in-the-dark stars. They only glow if they've spent time in the light, right? Think about that for our faith. We glow when we're spending time with the Lord, when we're beholding the glory of God, we begin to glow, we begin to change. But then what happens to the glow-in-the-dark stars as the night progresses? Middle of the night, you look up and you're like, I can barely see, they're like kind of glowing. Maybe. Think you can kind of see them, right? And by morning, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're dark. I think our faith is much like this. We meet the Lord, we begin to glow, and then we go on and live our lives. Do, 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 gonna live my, I'm going to do this, going to do that, whatever. And our, our faith our, uh, begins to fade. Our, our connection to God begins to fade. And we're like, why do I not feel the way I once felt? Why am I like losing heart, right? Because we're not spending time beholding the glory of the God. We need to get recharged. We need to get recharged daily. I would even say we need to get charged every couple hours. And I'm talking about like, how do we do this actually in our lives? How do we recharge? How do we behold the glory of God that we would be changed and continue to glow and, and you know, be in the image of God um, like this? So the word beholding is a weird word. Um, sometimes in Greek, it's translated reflecting the glory of God. So it's like, you know, we were changed when we reflect, but they said it's, you know, they were trying to explain. It's like, it's more than reflecting. It's like you're changed. You're like, you're now 
have a kind of a light in you. And I was like, that's where I got the glow in the dark. So I was like, that's like, that's totally glow in the dark, right? Like they didn't know it back in the day, but that's what was happening, right? Glow in the dark here. Um, so we, uh, it's not a, just about gaining knowledge. So this is, you know, interesting to think about like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read lots of scripture. You know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna serve in mercy kids. I'm gonna do all these things and that's gonna change me, right? And those things can change us. But it's, it's the meeting with, the beholding the glory of God where things are, are really changing. So um, I, I wrote a definition of what, what I think beholding the glory of God is. Um, I think it's going to be up on here. But beholding God's glory is being present with God, noticing and experiences his goodness, his mercy, in the everyday parts of life. I'm going to say that again. Beholding God's glory is being present with God, noticing and experiencing his goodness in the everyday parts of life. Honestly, I believe that this is what changes us. And it, 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 it means that we have to establish a habit of being deeply grounded in God. And I feel like this is, it's throughout Scripture. You know, if you look at Jesus' life, you know, he'd get up early in the morning, he'd go alone and be with God and get charged. And he was God, right? You see, you see Daniel, you know, he went in the lion's den, but like he said, like three times a day, he was like spending time connecting with God. And time and time, Adam and Eve, they walked in the cool of the day with the Lord and got charged up. And it's throughout scripture. You see David, David's always doing this. In fact, um, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 63. I read it at the very beginning of this. I want you to, to, to think of this in this idea of how he is beholding God's glory in the everyday things of life. Here goes. He goes, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I like that word earnestly because I think sometimes we like do a lot of Christian stuff, but we're not like earnestly seeking God. He's earnestly seeking God. He's thirsty for God. He just, he just can't wait to spend time with God, right? His flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land, right? Think of the dry and weary land we live in with the news sources and the social media. It's, it's a dry land out there we live in. And he says, I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He had this experience with God. And he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips praise you. I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Think about that. Just eating something really delicious and being like, oh, this is just like God right now, this steak. You know, as a kid, it was always like the like hot pizza. You know, I was just, oh, this is, I'm experiencing God right now, right? He's like, it's like fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips, and I'll remember you on my bed. So he's He's taking a nap. He's laying in bed. He's thinking about God. He's meditating on you in the watches of the night. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night. He's not like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what I should do tomorrow. You know, he's like thinking about God. He's, he's meditating on God. He says, for you've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. Does your soul cling to God? Because he's the source, he's the, he's the energizer in our lives, and, and we, we just miss it. You know, we, we, we dabble, we, we believe in God, we've been saved, we've been changed, 
and we've been and we're fading. And we want to get to a place where we're, we're clinging to God. So I want to give you some practical things of what this looks like in my life, some ideas of like changing the way we've done this in the past, uh, the way that I've been taught as I grew up in the church and I've been taught a lot about what it means to be a Christian. And this part seems to have been left out. I think it was like implied, but like, I just didn't get it. So I want to like make it super clear for you. But prioritizing our day to behold the glory of God. So I challenge you guys to like simply stop and watch a sunset. So you're driving in the car or you're, you know, you're, you see the sunset. What do we do? We pull out our phone like, I got to take a picture for Instagram. Instagram's going to love this. We get a picture and then we're going to get back to life, right? Like we didn't sit and enjoy a sunset and think, oh, wow, God is good. God is beautiful. This is amazing. Like literally, if, if you're time conscious and time pressure, like set a timer for 10 minutes on your phone and just sit there and watch for 10 minutes. You know the alarm will go off at some point and you'll be like, okay, I've got to go back to work. I've got to go back to whatever I was doing. But just carve out 10 minutes to just behold the glory of God. More, I really enjoy the sunrise. The sunrise is really cool. Sometimes, when, you know, when I was commuting to Seattle, which I don't do anymore, you know, I'd see the sunrise as I was commuting. And it's so easy to fill our life with like the radio and the music and the, all these other things rather than just like, I'm going to be present with God as I watch this sunrise. Okay, we can, we can like schedule that in our day. Um, when we taste delicious food, I'm literally, as, as he said there, you can stop and say, God, you are so good right now. This food is so good. You made this food, right? These little things in life that we can like take a second and, and recharge just a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know, have you ever hiked up Mount Pilchuck? And you get, you get up there. I have actually not been to the top of Pilchuck. I didn't want to admit that, but like I've gotten about three quarters way up a couple times and then whoever I'm with was always like, hey, I'm done. Like this is good enough. But even on some of those views and you're looking out at the world, and you're like, this is incredible. We live in the Northwest. It's incredible. And we're so quick to, I got to capture this on Instagram. I got to tell other people about it. I got to fill this. But just be quiet with the Lord and be like, God, you are good. You are here. You're full of mercy. Um, you know, God actually made a whole day for us to behold the glory of God. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Sabbath. God's like, it's so important in my in the world that I created that we like carve out time in our schedule to spend time with God, to, dare I say, waste time with God, right? We're so in America, we got all these things we got to do, we got to get all this stuff done, we, we have all these tight schedules, Saturday comes around or Sunday, whatever day it is, and we're like, okay, look at all the stuff I can get done, right? And God's like, I just, I wanted to clear your schedule for a day where we could just hang out. We could go climb a mountain, eat some good food, spend some time together. That's the heart of God, right? Uh, some other, other thoughts I've had. Okay, so meditating on Scripture. And I, I want to touch on this. I grew up in a church where reading the Bible is super important, and the reading the Bible is super important. But why is reading the Bible super important? Because it helps us to behold the glory of God. We see God in a new way, and we're like, oh, that's how God is, right? We're stirred in our soul. But we can also take the word of God and go the other way with it, where you're like, 
Um, it's a, you know, a notch in your belt if you can read through the whole Bible in one year, right? I've tried to do this. I've done it before. I think my faith faded as I tried to read the Bible all the way through. I know that sounds crazy to say, but like, it was like, okay, I got seven chapters to read today, and here we go, you know? And I'm like, you know, reading the Bible, okay, good, I got that done, sweet, let's go on. Like, it's a, like it's a checkbox. Like, spending time with the Lord is a checkbox. Instead of wanting to never stop. God is not a checkbox in our life. He's the best thing that ever happened. Um, one of the things I've learned, um, I've been reading a lot about monks. And um, monks, actually, you know, there's a lot of things that monks may not get right. But one of the things that they really try to spend a lot of time with is is meditating on God, trying to see God in their lives. And they have this thing called the prayer of examine. And what it is, is at the end of the day, like, think about when you're getting in bed, you know, you're about to turn the light off, maybe you already turned the light off. They sit and they think through their day, hour by hour. And they examine their day. And they look for God. Sometimes we don't see God working in our lives. We don't see God moving in our lives because we're too busy, you know, answering emails and getting our stuff done and whatever. And there are times when God is like, shows up in our lives and we don't see it. And they didn't want to miss it. So you go think, okay, from seven to eight, what was I doing? Was God there? Did I, did I, can I see, do I notice God there? And um, they use this thing called consolations and desolations. It's like this kind of, checking in on their emotions during those times, right? We may not remember everything we did from 8 to 9 o'clock in the morning, but you can sometimes connect with the emotion that you felt in that moment. When you feel consolations, it means you feel comforted, you feel loved, you feel connected to God, right? And there's moments in your life like, oh yeah, you know what? I was having this conversation with somebody and I just felt a connection there. I think that was God, right? And then there are times we feel desolations where we feel like, our life's over. Like, this is bad. I do not like this. I hate this. This is the worst part of my day. You have those emotions of desolation. That does not mean God wasn't there. That means in that moment, we turn from God. We stop looking at God. We stop paying. We're like, okay, for me, this, like, and God's there asking us, hey, if you, if you bring that to me, there could be a consolation there. So they take this prayer of exam, and they look through their day to look for God working in their lives. And, and one of the monks said, it's like, you know, God wouldn't let um, was it Abraham uh, see his face when he went past. No, it was Elijah. Uh, what was it? Moses. He wouldn't let Moses see him in the face because he would kill him. But once he passed, right, he let him see his back. And the monk said, like, maybe in our lives, sometimes God's not letting us see him like what he's doing at that moment. But like once he's passed, when we reflect on what God's done, we're like, oh yeah, there he was right? So we can schedule our day to have touch points with the Lord. I, I take um, like 20 minutes in the morning. I get up extra early. Yeah, I do. I get up extra early. Um, I set a timer for 20 minutes. I watch the sunrise. I have a cup of coffee. And in the past, or like, I, you know, I don't read a ton of scripture. 
I don't pray for people I know. I sit and I'm just like, here I am. I'm here with you, God, in this moment. And I sit and I try to keep my head from racing to the thoughts I need to get done today. I just want to be with God. And there are times where all the thoughts in my head just crowded and I don't really feel connected with God. And there are times when I just feel like I'm breathing and I'm like, God is right there. I can like sense him. He's right there. And it's worth it just for those few moments where I feel so energized and connected to the Lord. So there's lots of things you can do. Um, and I encourage you to start reorganizing your day around connecting with God. Um, one of the, th- the questions I have, one of the thoughts I was contemplating is, what about when you, like, you know, you're, I can imagine you saying, like, yeah, that's great, Matt, when your life's going okay and things are going good, but what happens when, our, when your life has just exploded? Like, the worst has happened. Like, how do you get through those times, right? How can you be like, okay, God, like, I'm just here with you, and everything's going to be okay, right? Like, what do, we, what do you do then, right? And I'm just going to say, I don't know. The hard times in life are really difficult. But I will, I'll give you some advice. I, I wouldn't pull it directly from the scripture. Just some advice here. I work for a company called Limitless Minds, and they um, are like a mindset training thing. And one of the things that they always teach um, is habits. So uh, Limitless Minds is owned by Russell Wilson, and like it's all about like you know when, when he's in the fourth quarter and like you know they're down by you know ten points or whatever he's like, all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, he knows how to play again, and he's, like, winning, and um, he actually trains his mind that, like, when the pressure is on, when things are the worst it could possibly be, he, like, is at his best, okay, but the training behind it is all about you establish these habits in your life that when you don't know what to do, you go back to your habits. You're like, I have no clue how to handle the situation, I'm going to go back to my habits. I, I know how to do this. This is the only thing I know how to do. I'm going to do this, okay? Take football aside. You're living your life. And you find out you have cancer. What do you do? I, I don't know, but you can go back. If you have a habit of spending time with the Lord, you can go back to that. I don't know what to do, God. This is the worst situation I've ever been in. I don't I, I, I'm just going to go back to like, I'm, I'm, I immediately go back to God. I go back to that comfort, that shadow of the wing, the place where like my soul clings to. And I have that. And I don't lose heart. Okay, I'm going to move on. So we don't lose heart. <laughs> we prioritize our day. Um, 2 Corinthians Four two, we are clear when we behold the glory of God, and uh, actually, yeah, he says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, refused to practice cunning to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So he's been accused of tampering with God's word, of like kind of making himself look good, making God look good, right? And honestly, I think that when we have not spent time with God and we feel like our faith is lacking, we feel unsatisfied with our faith, we're tempted to 
try to prop God up a little bit, right? Like, God, you need a little help here. Like, this is old stuff. Like, we need some new stuff. We need some stuff that's happening, you know, and, and we want to make God, you know, we're going to try to help God look better. But it's, it's ridiculous when we connect with God, when, we, when God is the most important thing, when we're already satisfied by who God is, right? Why would we add to it? Anything that we add to it would be watering it down. And so he says, he's very clear. He's like, we don't touch God's word because we know God. We've beheld God's glory. We know that it is good. We know that it's everything we possibly could ever want and need, and we're not going to touch it. And then he goes on. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there are people who haven't believed in God. And they're blinded. They cannot see it. You've probably talked to friends, neighbors, whatever. They're like, you believe in that stuff? Great. Good for you. You know, like you're, you know, you're, you're weird. You don't get it. Like, but really they're blinded. They don't see it. And, and literally when he says the God of this world, he's talking about Satan. Okay. Satan has blinded them. Satan's number one job, his number one ministry, his number one goal is to blind people so they don't see it. In fact, he's done such a good job that people are basically born blind, right? They don't see God. They walk around without, without seeing God. And they're blinded. And we, you know, we have the Great Commission, right? We got to go tell people about Jesus. We can't help blind people see. We don't have that ability. And so, you know, having picket signs, telling people they're going to burn in hell, you know, getting on a megaphone and yelling in their ears, just see that that's not how people come to Christ. That's not how people, they have to see the glory of God. And God has to show up in their lives. And so all, all we can do is be clear about what it is that we believe, clear so that when God opens their eyes, they're like, oh, I see it now. We can welcome them in and we can, we can help them to, to behold the glory of God. So what is the clarity of the gospel? I want to make sure that I'm clear about this in case you're like, okay, I actually haven't seen all this before. I don't really understand what you're talking about. But he talks here about, we're talking about the glory of God, like this, this being, this, and then he's like, and the glory of God in the image in Jesus. Like he's like, just so you're clear, we're not just talking about this God out there. We're talking specifically that Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is King. He came in his mercy to save us on a rescue mission. That we would see his glory, that he would pay the price for our sins, that he could give us his mercy freely, and that we could have a relationship with him and behold his glory every day the rest of our lives, and then for eternity. See, if beholding the glory of God is the point of our lives, heaven is going to be amazing. This is more of that. Okay. Other thing I was going to say here is this, if Satan's goal in life is to keep people from seeing, seeing God, beholding God, I'll have to say this, that Satan's role in our lives is also 
to not see the glory of God. He's putting things in our lives every day to keep us from connecting with God. Keeping us too busy. Too busy. I'm too busy to spend time with God. I'm sorry. Yeah. Too stressed out. You know? And then he's like, okay, when you do have these times where you're not doing anything, I'll give you something to do. Right? You've got the internet everywhere you go. You've got Instagram wherever you go. You've got social media. You can keep yourself distracted. You're in the car. You've got the radio. You've got podcasts. Like, you've got Netflix. Right? Like, you can... My wife and I were crossing the pass during the snow, uh, snow last weekend, and we got stuck. So we're like, okay. Like, I pulled out my phone and started watching ESPN in traffic. Well, well we, we weren't moving. I wasn't driving. But, like, we can distract ourselves all the time. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying that you can't behold the glory of God in, in Instagram or in social media. You can. We don't very often, but you can. You know, we see someone sitting on a beach somewhere, and we're in, you know, rainy Washington, and we're like, ah, can't believe they get that. But we could say, like, oh, there's glory of God there. We see that picture, like, oh, that is, that is, that, that sunset over the ocean, you know, and you see your toes in the sand. Like, I could give God glory for how beautiful and wonderful that experience is, but, but we don't usually. We're generally jealous and, you know, but we can behold the glory of God if we train ourselves to connect with God. We see something beautiful, something God's made. We're like, oh yeah, God has done that. Okay, lastly, as I wrap this up, we give God the credit when we behold the glory of God. It says here in this last verse, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with our, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's like, listen, it, it just seems so, so, so stupid once we behold the glory of God, how we could possibly make it about us. But he's like, it's, it's never about us right? We don't preach ourselves. It's not about, as a, as, a, as, a, as a human, you make mistakes. As a human, you're prone to wander, right? But it's not about us. It's about Jesus, our Lord. And it says it, for God said, let the light shine out darkness. He's actually tying it back to Genesis 1-1, where it says, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. He's like, that God is the God who takes away our blindness, right? He goes, all right, I'm gonna, my creative powers, you're not blind anymore. You can see now, you can see now, you can see now. It's God doing it, right? We give God the credit when someone comes to, comes to Jesus and it's like, I see it now. We're like, wow, I never thought, but God has done creative work in that person's life. And we just get to reflect. It says in God, that light of darkness shone in our hearts to give us the light and the knowledge of the glory of God. In Jesus, we see it. We see it when God creates it in us, and then our job is to continue to just behold the glory of God, because that is where we're changed. So I just want to end this with the verse that started this whole thing. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, you don't lose heart. We've seen the glory of God, and it was good. And that is where 
we're changed and where we have the heart to move on. Let's, let's end in, in prayer.